All right, good morning, everyone. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. Matthew 13 and uh, verse 44. I just want to pray quickly before we go into this passage of Scripture. Father, we are uh, overjoyed as we sing and as we meditate and reflect on the greater grace that you make available to each one of us. Uh, Lord, all we are is undeserving sinners in need of a Savior. And we thank you that through Jesus Christ, he has paid it all for us. Uh, Lord, this morning we just say thank you. We meditate on that, we say thank you. Uh, Lord, I pray that your generosity would prompt generosity in us. That we would so lay hold of the riches of the glory of Christ. That we would in every aspect of our life, with our time, talents, and treasure... We would be people given over to the ministry and service of others for the glory of God. So, Lord, as we unpack this text this morning, we pray that you will open the eyes of our heart uh, so that we will do the things that you have called us to do. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that you will illuminate truth as it is spoken so that we will lay hold of it and be changed by it. And we ask for this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let me read for you this uh, brief text this morning. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The text says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. This week, there was an auction at uh, Christie's Auction House in New York City. And... uh, The item under scrutiny is a a painting, 500-year-old painting, called Salvatore Mundi. The painting is 18 inches by 26 inches. It sold for a cool $450 million, virtually half a million. Now, just the way my mind works, I started to think, wonder what the per square inch cost was. Just about a million dollars per square inch was paid for that uh, incredible piece of art. As I heard that, I thought this to myself. And by the way, that was the most ever paid for a piece of art in history. I thought to myself, there are things that do not make sense to me. And that, I'm going to tell you, is one of them. Um, The text before us today is a text about treasure, about things that have... Uh, value. Uh, I want to say this as I work my way into this passage of scripture. This verse is spoken by Jesus particularly to those who were his followers. So in the context of a devoted group of believers, Jesus speaks this truth. Verse verse 36 of chapter 13 says, Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came into him and asked him to explain. And what they're asking him to explain is some of the things that he had just said. Because what they're saying is these things are hard to understand. That truth is a little bit awkward. It's challenging. It's compelling. It calls for unbelievable sacrifice. And so in their minds, they come to Jesus in a private setting and they say, We need help. And along the way of explaining the things that he's been teaching, Jesus shares with them this parable. It's not a true story. It's a story that's shared to communicate truth from heaven for us to understand. So Jesus casts this truth 
in the context of an earthly story so that you and I could look at it and say, oh. So this morning I pray that's by God's grace is what will happen, that this simple truth will become true for each of us this morning. The theme of the text is about the kingdom of God, God's sovereign work amongst men or the saving rule of Christ in our lives. That's probably the best way to think about kingdom. It has to do with the dominion or work or rule of God through his son, through the gospel, in the lives of individuals. The story has two major movements in it. And I'll just walk our way through this. First of all, we have a traveler who finds treasure. And it's very important that as you listen to this account and as you think through this simple statement, this simple story, that you realize that it centers around treasure and that treasure in context is the kingdom of heaven, the rule of God through the gospel of Christ. Okay, so there's, there's something about what Jesus is doing that is being cast in the context of that which is of incredible and glorious value. We imagine in this story a man walking through a field, perhaps with a walking stick, and we don't know why he's traveling there. We don't know if he's a worker in the field or just someone passing by. But it becomes apparent that something like this happens. He walks along, either he he steps on something that sounds hollow or he's walking with his walking stick and the walking stick hits something hard. There's a bit of an echo, a, a shallowness, if you will, a hollowness. And he decides to investigate this strange phenomenon. And so as I imagined, he bends down and begins to move soil away from the location where the strange sounds comes from. Then he finds a box, a chance discovery. He breaks the box open. And inside of the box is an inexplicable amount of wealth. We're not told in detail how much. We're just told that it basically overwhelms him as he takes it in. Something more valuable than he could ever imagine. So he pulls out a cell phone and on his GPS he marks his location. And he covers it back up. Here's one of the questions that comes up when you look at this story. The question is, how did it get there? Well, see, in the ancient world, they didn't have banks to take the resources to. They didn't have safe deposit boxes, and they didn't have safes in their homes because you didn't have all the benefits of metal and all the protection that it provides. And so what people would do, if there was going to be a time of war or famine, that type of thing, it would prompt a, an earnestness about protecting what one had. And so apparently a landowner in preparation for war, invasion, in preparation for his things being stolen. To avoid that, he digs a hole in a field and he buries something of incalculable wealth. And then someone finds it. It it, it becomes apparent that the owner of that box, the one that buried it, must have died in war or died prematurely and never passed on to someone else where this treasure was located. And so some years later, as the story would seem to indicate, something that was lost and forgotten is now found. The the impact of it on the finder is that he is overwhelmed, and what he does is he begins to craft a plan to buy the field. Now, you may, in your mind, begin to question the ethics of this man. Okay, he's crafting a plan to buy a field because he knows there's something in it that the owner is obviously unaware of. That's the way the story is told. And here's what you need to remember about parables. Parables are simple stories with a a, a laser focus, a single point. The point of this story is not how to justify ripping people off. 
Okay, the point of the story is that when you find something of such incredible value, it moves you, it changes you. That's the thrust of the story. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable that once you understand it, you will give up everything you have to lay hold of it. That's the thrust of the story. It's the move that God wants us to have on our heart. The way that I stated in my notes is this, some treasure is so valuable that it's worth selling all that you have to obtain it. Do you know a treasure like that? Well, the second part of the story tells us very simply that uh, in his joy, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. Presumably from the story, he's an average man with modest resources. He doesn't have the capacity to buy the land without it altering his personal lifestyle. That's the indication of the story. So what does he do? He goes home after burying the treasure, marking the location, and he, he has an estate sale. The text is very clear in this regard. When a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy, he went and sold all that he had to buy that field. So there is a story of, it's a, it's a liquidation. Everything becomes available so that this treasure might be obtained. That's the way the story unfolds. There are no second thoughts. There's no calculating. There's no comparing to what he already possesses. He knows that what he has uncovered is more valuable than anything else, and that for him is life-altering. What would it cost him? The simple answer is this. Purchasing that field and gaining that treasure will cost him everything. Everything. Now, as you study the teachings of Jesus, there's a word that will begin to float up. Uh, and I, 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 whenever I've, I've talked about giving or generosity or topics like this, this high level of call from Christ, there's a sense in which most of us tend to want to look down at our feet. Um, it, it makes us uncomfortable. There's something about the teachings of Christ as you study through the parables that, that calls for Something radical, and I think that's the word that if I was to place one word over the teachings of Christ, I would say that the, the teachings of Christ were radical. They made you uncomfortable. In my mind, I, I envisioned this man having this estate or yard sale, a total liquidation of everything. His friends stop by, and they say, hey, what are you doing? I'm selling everything. Why? I can't tell you. It looks kind of ridiculous. You're selling everything. My, one of the questions that pops up in the back of my mind is, what is his wife thinking? Probably the same kinds of things my wife thinks on a regular basis. You know, it's that dog looking at not, oh, okay, i got to be careful I say that. It's that look of like, you know, what are you doing? And I think that's what's going on in this man's life. His response to the treasure is radical. And then the last thing he does after liquidating everything, after giving up good things, he buys the ultimate thing. And so the text just alludes to the simple fact that the man takes everything that he's gotten together and he goes and he buys that field. Because he knows that that field contains something that causes his greatest treasure to become worthless. Folks, that's the way the kingdom of God is. And that's the way it's meant to work in our life. That's the kind of impact it's meant to have, a radical, transformational impact when we begin to think through the call of Christ and the promises of Christ. 
It begins to change you and affect how you live your life. Now, there's one phrase in the text that I didn't pick up on, and I, wanna, I want this to kind of be my, my third observation from the story. So he finds treasure, he sells everything, and then in his joy. I just want to think about this with me. The text says he found it, he hid it, and then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and obtained that field. From the moment that he finds this great treasure, his perspective on life changes. His demeanor changes. There is a degree of or level of joy that comes over this man that doesn't fade away. That allows him to move into the realm of radical sacrifice so that ultimate things can begin to happen through his life. Not in his drudgery, not in duty, but in joyful exhilaration. He expends everything that he valued in the past so that he might obtain the thing that really mattered the most. Now, while we say that it cost him everything, here's something I want you to be very clear about. When I hear of someone telling of great sacrifice, of giving to obtain or to accomplish something, here's what I tend to feel in my heart. The emotion that rises in my heart tends to be one of pity. Like, wow, how much they gave Veterans Day. How much sacrifice to get what? To get something greater and more glorious than life itself. To give to the next generation something beautiful and pleasant and glorious. That's the nature of that. And there's a sense in which I feel sorry for those individuals who had to pay the price so that I can enjoy what I'm enjoying. In this story, there should be no sense of pity for this man. In fact, here's what I think Jesus would say. He would say, the emotion that I am trying to evoke in you is envy. I hope that you will look at this man's treasure and say to yourself, I want it. I wish it was mine. Because whatever he saw when he lifted the lid off of that container in the ground was so overwhelming that he gave up everything to go and have it. Not out of duty, not out of obligation, not out of demand but in joy. And the anticipation of joy in this context prompts in him a radical sacrifice. So let me state the summary point of this text for you as simply as I can. Having and knowing Jesus, the kingdom, is so precious that all sacrifice for him is wise and brings joy. I'm going to want you to think about that with me. Having and knowing Jesus, the kingdom, is so precious that all sacrifice for him is wise and brings joy. Now, I want to give you one clarification. The clarification is this. In the parable of which we're not to obsess over details, it's meant to give me a point. He found something so valuable that it caused him to give up everything so that he might have it. Having it brought great joy. That's the thrust. Now, in the story, the man gives up and buys. In the context of the gospel, things work differently. And I want to explain this to you from a statement that the apostle Paul makes in Philippians 3. And here's the way this works. Jesus makes statements in the Gospels that you need help to understand. The writers of the New Testament epistles 
ping off of the teaching of Jesus to give greater clarity to what he was saying and what he meant. They act as commentators. So if you're reading through the New Testament, you have four gospel accounts, the true story of Jesus. And then as you read through the rest of the epistles, you're finding commentaries that as you read through the epistles, sometimes you're saying to yourself, that story or that statement that Paul just made reminds me of something that Jesus said. Does that make sense? So I want to, I for clarification, help you understand that Paul is not saying that salvation can be bought or earned by generosity. Meaning, well, if God so moves on my heart and I start to give more to the work of God, then I will buy for myself a place in heaven. That would be a perversion of the gospel, which is by grace, which means it's a gift. So listen to the way that Paul pings off of this principle of giving up all to have Christ. Philippians chapter 3. Here's what he says. He says, whatever things were gained to me, those I have counted loss for the sake of knowing Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost. Does that sound familiar? He found the treasure, he hid it, he went and sold everything he had. He counted all of his possessions gone so that he might have the thing of greatest value. Paul says, I count all things as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. I put them in a yard sale so that I may gain Christ. And notice what Paul's saying. That giving up in, this, in Paul's context later is about religious activity as a means of getting Christ or buying Christ. What is Paul saying now? He says, I I know Christ, therefore I give up everything. He is that glorious and that precious. Paul says, I count them rubbish so that I be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through law or performance, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith, not works. Okay, so as you read through the story, The clarification is, salvation can't be bought through my personal sacrifice and generosity, but my salvation prompts incredible generosity. Okay, why? Because my life has been so radically transformed and changed. So let's think about an application then of this very simple account. And thoughts and principles that I think will help us on Monday morning. We as uh, believers all experience vision drift. And I don't know if, if you have this experience in your life where I, sometimes I am crystal clear about the centrality of God in my life and about the, the value and supremacy of Christ and the, the joy of making him known to others and the, this, this generosity welling up in my heart and sharing with people out of the abundance of what God has given me. There are times that I'm on that. And there are a lot of other times that I'm kind of on it and kind of not on it. Sometimes I'm just not on it. And I need I need the Spirit of God, to, to redirect, to, to, to repoint my life in a direction that honors the great treasure that has been given to me through the gospel of Christ and his kingdom. So we all experience it. And I believe this, through this text, Jesus is seeking to focus the spiritual vision of his followers. He wants them to get it right to get it straight, and to be pulled out of a complacent walk with Christ into a full-born, generous walk with Christ. I think it's the thrust of this text in light of his surpassing value. 
So here's the principles that I think emerge. First of all, generosity towards God. When I say generosity, I want, I want you to, to, to be sure that you understand what I'm saying. I'm not talking simply about our treasure, our money, our resources. I'm talking about time, talent, and treasure. Okay, so when Jesus calls people to give up everything and follow him, he's not simply talking about dollar bills. I may have said this to you last Sunday. Some people write a check but never give time to God. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for a commitment from the totality of our lives, from the time that we have, the talents that we have, and the treasure that we have, so that we are full-orbed in our generosity and full-orbed in our response to the incredible grace of God. Generosity towards God's work in every area of life is wise. It's wise. I mean, as you read this story, here's what you can simply conclude. That man's decision was a smart decision. It may have looked radical. It may have looked foolish to others. Others may not understand it. But when I read that story, I say to myself, man, you're right on. You're right on. Generous, generosity towards God's work is wise. But here's the question I want you to ask. Why is it wise? Here's what I believe as a result of my study over the last couple of weeks and studying this topic of generosity over time in ministry. I believe that generosity breaks the bondage and chains of material things and the illusion that they can bring ultimate joy. And that's what I mean by vision drift. The illusion that material things can provide ultimate satisfaction tends to compete for the truth that only Jesus truly satisfies. And so I may tend to find myself going after other affections, but what I will find is those other affections can never satisfy like Jesus does. And that's, that's the tone of this text. All that I have, this treasure. Yep. Yep. In Matthew 6, verse 19 to 21, Jesus says this. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. Rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust cannot corrupt, where thieves cannot break through and steal. Why? Why does Jesus repeat that theme at least three times in the Gospel of Matthew? You know why he says that about material things, temporary things? Because they won't last. And the vision drift is, I start to think that temporal things can bring eternal things, and they can't. And so the thrust of this text is, as you begin to focus on the largeness of what God is doing, on the glory of God and the gospel of Christ, as you begin to think about that and treasure that, it begins to break the bondage that material things tend to have on our lives. And so I beg of you this morning, think about generosity towards God's work as the wisest thing that you can possibly do. In Philippians 4, the text that we looked at last week, here's what Paul said. Paul said, I want what will be credited to your account in the future. And here's what I believe. That, that crediting to account future, I believe, is the thrilling presence of Christ in heaven, looked forward to and one day experienced in an individual's life. Joy prompts sacrifice. Sacrifice breaks the bondage of things and allows us to treasure Christ. And here's what I believe. The treasure of heaven is not all the things that we tend to talk about. The treasure of heaven is that Christ is there. And the sorrow of hell is that he is not there. Generosity towards God's work is wise. Secondly, generosity towards God's work 
fuels great hope. In Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said this. He said, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will lay up treasure in heaven. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is, I think in a powerful way, making a clear connection between our spiritual state of mind, our spiritual lives, and how we handle possessions. You see, I can look at my checkbook, if that's where I give from, and I, I can learn something about my heart. The pastor I grew up under, when people would come to him for marital counseling, here's what he would say. He said, I, and this was an older man, he, he was uh, a, a Navy boxer, just had incredible presence, uh, strong personality, could get away with things that I would never attempt, okay? So that's my qualifier. He would say to people, when you're coming in for, for marital counseling, I want you to bring your checkbook. He would never look at it. But he would have them lay it on the desk and say to them, that tells me a lot about where your heart is. You see, I can look through my resources and my use of them and learn a lot about where I really stand with God. And, and I, I think in this text, Jesus says, sell what you have, give to the poor, in that you are laying up treasure in heaven. In the text I read to you from Matthew 6, he's talking about laying up treasure in heaven. Paul is pinging off of that in the text that we looked at last Sunday. I want what will be credited to your account. I want you to be laying up for the future so that you are so thrilled with that treasure in the present that it transforms your life. I think that's why the Apostle Paul could say at the beginning of the book of Philippians, I can depart and be with Christ. I can stay and serve you. And Paul can honestly say, I don't know which to choose. I find that enviable. To be so aware of the treasure of knowing Christ that it begins to break the bondage and fuel the hope that drives Christian service and Christian generosity and Christian parenting and, and Christian service and everything we do is driven by the hope of heaven. I was talking to my mom this week and because of her situation, there is opportunity, I will tell you, to talk about things we've never talked about. The pain brings clarification and the possibilities are serious. Uh, on December 11th, by the way, my mom will be getting her bladder removed. Uh, they're done with the chemo treatments, which by God's grace she went through and did not lose her hair, which I think is one of the happiest things to her. I said, no, that's not ultimate treasure, mom, okay? She's already gone out and bought a nice wig that I told her looked beautiful. She's got to give it away. In talking with her, I as her son, have, I, I want her and I want myself, as a result of my studies recently, to so treasure Christ that these bumps in the road are not earth-shattering and heartbreaking. I'm not saying they become easy, but I am saying they become less important. Because as I walk through them, I am carrying an incredible truth that Christ is greatest treasure. And here's what I believe. 
I believe the more generous you are with your time, talents, and treasure, I mean the totality of your life, the more you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ, I believe that the, the glory of heaven will strengthen you and stabilize you emotionally in those exceedingly difficult circumstances when you are looking at ultimate realities. Growing to grasp this simple truth. And as I said to my mom the other night, she said, well, I challenged her on this, by the way, for a reason, because I was, I was concerned. My mom has a nice life, and I know she enjoys her life. She loves the people around her. And I just said, mom, I just, I'm encouraging you to think about this. And she said, I have been. And she said, you know what? I'm experiencing growth in that area. For me, that was thrilling to hear that. And I said to her, I said, look, I am encouraging something in you, not as someone who's practicing it, but as someone who's striving to. I want the glory of heaven and the glory of the riches of knowing Christ personally and the joy of being with him someday to alter my perspective on the present so that I consider selling it so that I may have the greatest treasure. I think that's the thrust of this text. Generosity fuels great hope. So as you, as you, Give of your time, talents, and treasure to the work of God. You're laying up treasure in heaven. What happens? It begins to fuel my anticipation of what is to come. Because I'm not so invested here, so entrenched here, so rooted here, that leaving is heartbreaking. It's sad, yes. We grieve, yes. But not as those without hope. I think that's where this moves. The last thought, and I think this to be so important for us as believers God-honoring generosity, the kind that pleases him, not the kind to be seen, but the kind that pleases him, is prompted by our joy in Christ. If you're here this morning and you have never come to treasure Christ, who is the ultimate treasure, here's what I would tell you. Don't begin to give as, as a discipline that will bring you greater joy. Okay, don't, don't do it apart from trusting Christ. Don't do it thinking that by this, I am enhancing my life. Don't do it. Don't do it. And for believers, I would say this. Don't, don't give of yourself and of your resources as duty, as obligation, as drudgery. Paul would say this in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the giving that we're doing should come out of a, a joy being prompted by Christ, a treasure that is so much greater that it frees me up to give of my resources to the work of God and to love others and to advance the work of his kingdom. Just so changed by perspective. I think if, any, if, 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 if anything happened in the story of the man who finds the treasure in the field, there's a shift in perspective. When he started that journey, he had this that he treasured. By the end of that journey, he was willing to give up all of this so that he could have a treasure that outshined everything else. May God allow us to so lay hold of Christ that our perspective is changed. Because everything that we as Christians do in our giving, in our generosity, in our loving of, of others, and serving others, is all born out of a response 
to what Christ has done for us. You see, the Bible says this. It says, if God so loved us, so valued us, then we ought to or we are under obligation to love others. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15. He says, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Thanks to God for the gift that he has given to us in Christ that we seek to explain to people but have to confess frequently words fail. Paul says, let us so lay hold of that that Christ would become so valuable that he is worth the sacrifice of all things so that we might treasure and know him. As I thought about the sale of Salvatore Mundi, the picture of Christ, and as I read a couple articles yesterday about the sale of this piece of art, I was struck by the fact that the meaning of Salvatore Mundi was never mentioned in the articles. So in that context, Jesus was a piece of art. But for the church, he is the subject that commands our attention. Salvatore Mundi means the savior of the world. And to me, that makes that piece of art a little more valuable. Not quite as valuable as they valued it. A million dollars a square inch, which I still can't get over. But to me, it's sad. I watched uh, at Christie's, they have an individual whose job is to, on video, you know, they they, they show you the piece of art being brought in, two people holding it, and all the care that's taken to hang it on the wall. And then they have a commentator come in who talks about the beauty of this piece of art and what makes it so precious and valuable. And I, I waited to hear what it meant. The Savior of the world. And so this morning... If Christ for you is someone who lived an amazing life, an admirable and self-sacrificial life, if for you the cross is merely a good example of selflessness, just a good example that accomplished nothing, my response is, how sad, how sad. Jesus came as God in flesh, and on the cross he became the Savior of the world. His cross work actually accomplished something. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made himself to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Brother and sister in Christ, you have been given greatest treasure. And I would ask you this morning just to look at your life and say, is my life reflecting the value of Christ? Is the use of my time, my talents, and my treasure compelling? Is it giving me hope for the future? Am I serving others selflessly because Christ selflessly served me? Am I loving others because Christ first loved me? Am I amazed? And if you've never trusted Christ this morning, here's, here my simple encouragement to you is, don't try to buy the good news of God's gracious forgiveness in Christ. Receive it as a gift that will change your life forever. Just humble yourself before him and say, God, I acknowledge that I today am a sinner in need of a glorious Savior. And today I have laid eyes, my eyes on treasure that has caused me to say I will sacrifice everything to know and to have him as Savior of my life and Savior of the world. 
Father, we thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. God, open our eyes to see the treasure that we have in Christ. And as we meditate on that treasure in this communion service, God, let the truth of the treasure of Christ become so real that it alters our life, the use of our time, our talents, and our treasure. Jesus, help us to love you more, I pray, through this communion service. We pray this for the glory of Christ and the good of his people. And all God's people said, amen.